John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things that I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you again for your word. Lord, we trust that it is sufficient, that it is exactly what we need when we need it. And Lord, I know that in my own strength, I'm incapable of touching people's hearts, making them receptive to the truth of God, to even change my own heart, Lord. So I pray that your spirit would be active in our midst today, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive the truth of your word, that you would make us a faithful people who stand firm even in the face of persecution and trials. And I pray that everything that we do would honor you. Be glorified in our time together this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're still in the upper room the night before Jesus is crucified, the very night that he is betrayed. And so far on this night, we've seen promises and commands. The disciples are upset that Jesus is leaving. They don't want him to go. He's told them plainly that he's going to be put to death. And that he's going to return from the dead and then ascend and go back to the Father. And they don't particularly like that idea, so Jesus gives them promises. He's promised them a better home after this one. A place that he's going to prepare for them and for us who believe in him that one day he will come again and take us there. He's given them the promise of the Holy Spirit that His own Spirit, though He is not with them physically, He is not with them bodily, His Spirit will come and be with them, and not with them only, but with everyone who believes in Him. He promises that because of this coming Spirit that they will have peace. We spent a long time talking about that blessing of peace. It's not peace as in the absence of trials and struggles and war and sorrows, but 
It's peace through those things. And it's in those things because we have God's Holy Spirit within us. Not only did He promise peace, but He promised His own joy. The very joy that Jesus experienced being in perfect fellowship with God the Father. The very joy that He experienced being the Son of God. He says, my joy I leave with you. I give to you that your joy may be full. He promised them love. That they are loved by Him just as much as He is loved by the Father. And then He gave them that command to in turn love one another. And then in the last time we were together, we looked at those verses concerning bearing fruit. If we are in the vine, if we have the Holy Spirit, if we are born again and have experienced the love of God, if we have received the peace of God and the joy of God, we will bear fruit. And now it's easy to think that if all of those things are true, those are all wonderful things, that things will go well for us. You know, if we have the love of God and we bear fruit and share that love and we preach His message throughout all the world, people are going to love it. They're going to receive it. They're going to think that we're just the greatest thing on earth because they've never seen anything better than what Jesus has to offer. And I promise you, if knowing today that we were going to recognize our graduates and baptize a new believer and I thought I was going to pick some passage that might encourage them and lift them up and motivate them to go out into the world and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, this probably isn't the first one that would come to my mind. But we let the Scripture set our agenda. We trust that the Lord knows what we need. But we need. But in these verses that we've just read, Jesus actually promises the opposite that we might think. He says you will be hated you will be rejected. They will throw you out of the synagogue. They will find good reason to persecute you and think they're doing God a service. While that might not be the uplifting and encouraging message that you think we want to hear today, it is the truth and it actually is encouraging. And Jesus in this passage, He gives us two main reasons that the world will reject you. And then He gives us three good reasons to be encouraged. Let's look first at those reasons for rejection. Number one, the world rejects you because you are not of the world. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore... The world hates you. Now he says, if the world hates you. If. That is a condition, but in the language here, it's a condition, what we call a condition of the first class. Which means, it's a condition that's assumed for the sake of argument. In other words, if the world hates you, and believe me, it does. That's what Jesus is saying. If the world hates you, not that they might hate you, but just go ahead and assume that they do. And they will. It certainly does know that it hated me before it hated you. You see, the world hates us because we're not of the world. You know, we actually preach a very offensive message. 
Jesus said in, in chap, back in chapter 7 that the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. The very gospel that we preach calls people to repent of their sins and come to God for forgiveness. The fact that we call people to repent of sins and suggest that they need to be forgiven automatically implies that we think they're sinners. And that the way they live their lives is not right. It displeases God. That's an offensive message. Now you have to preach the bad news before you can preach the good news, right? You don't know why you need to be forgiven if you don't know you're a sinner. But the message that men have sinned and offended a holy God is offensive. The very call to repent and the suggestion that people need forgiveness is in itself offensive. Well, not only do we preach an offensive message, but we do strive to be different. We don't want to be like the world. 1 John 3 says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Just as He is pure. In our desire to be like Jesus, we purify ourselves and separate ourselves from the sinful practices of the world. We try to put those away. We put those aside. We don't want them. We put to death the deeds of the body. We are in the world, but we do not belong to the world. This world is not our home. We don't want to be like the world. And our rejection of the sinful lifestyles that the world embraces so that we can be pure and pleasing to God offends those who live in those lifestyles. When you say, no, I'm not going to do that, that doesn't please God. That's offensive. The world will hate you for it. And quite frankly, we just don't fit in. Remember Hebrews 11 concerning Abraham and Sarah. The writer says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Can you relate to that? Are you a stranger in the world? Are you just a pilgrim or do you feel at home? For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. If truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. We just don't fit in here. We're strangers, we're pilgrims. Peter said, you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. Or as the old King James says, a peculiar people. We don't really like to be peculiar. We like to fit in. We don't like to stand out. But that's what we are. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We don't fit in here. We're just travelers. We never can forget that promise that Paul made to Timothy. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now thankfully, there aren't very many Christians in the United States being burned at the stake right now. 
There aren't very many of us who are losing our heads. Persecution doesn't always come in that form, does it? Now it may. Look at the condition of the world, the direction things are headed. Are you ready for it if it does come to that? But besides that, are you okay with being talked about because you are different? Are you okay with maybe being demoted or even fired because you won't do the unethical thing that you've been asked to do? Are you okay with receiving a lower grade in that philosophy class because you dare to give a witness to Christ in front of the professor? Persecution and trials and sufferings don't always come by losing your life. Sometimes it's losing a social status or being thought little of or you're just one of those ignorant, uneducated Christians. They don't care what kind of degree you have. The moment you say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the only way to God the Father, you have automatically been demoted in the minds of the unbelievers. A.T. Robertson asked, Does the world hate us? If not, why not? Has the world become more Christian? Or has the Christian become more worldly? And that's a fair question. We have been promised that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you are not suffering in any way, you have to ask yourself, am I living godly in Christ Jesus? Am I really being faithful to the word that God has given? If the church is what God has called the church to be, and if the church does what God has called the church to do, opposition will come against the church. If we are not facing opposition, I have to ask, are we really doing what God has called us to do? It's a good question. But number two, the world rejects you because it rejected Christ. It's good logic. Verse 20, remember... The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. When he says, remember the word I said to you, he's talking about chapter 13. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. And then he commanded them to wash, he commanded them to wash one another's feet just as he had. Just as we are not greater than our Master and should humble ourselves to serve, we can be sure that we are not greater than our Master. And if they hated Him, they will hate us. We like the song, you know, following in the footsteps of Jesus, but don't forget that the footsteps of Jesus lead to a cross. Verse 21, He says, But all these things they will do to you for My name's sake, because they do not know Him who sent Me. It won't be long at all after Jesus' departure that the disciples will find out that loyalty to the name of Jesus Christ will bring persecution. See, Jesus is really the one they're after. They can't get to Him because He's not here. So they go after those who are in His name. They hate you and they reject you because they rejected Christ. They rejected Him first. Well, how did they do that? Well, they rejected His words. Verse 22, He said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now, He doesn't say that they would have no sin in the sense that they would be sinless. They would still be sinners, but they would not have committed the sin of rejecting Him and His revelation of the Father. 
You see, in rejecting Jesus' words, in rejecting Jesus' message, they committed the sin of rejecting the very cure for sin. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. They rejected His words. Two, they also rejected His Father. Verse 23, He who hates me, hates my Father. The Jews did not realize what they were doing. To hate Christ, to reject Christ, is to hate and reject God the Father. Now, with their lips being religious, they would have said, No, we love God the Father. We serve Him. We obey Him. We keep His law. But in rejecting Jesus Christ, whom He had sent, they rejected the one they thought they were serving. No matter what their religious lips said, their hatred of Jesus really revealed their hatred of God. The third, they rejected His works. Verse 24, if, they, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. That's the same thing He said in verse 22. If they had not seen my signs, seen my miracles, they wouldn't be guilty of rejecting them. But they have seen them. They accuse Jesus of doing miracles by the power of Satan. He casts out a demon and they say, oh, He casts out Satan by the power of Satan. They attributed His power to the devil and not to God. They rejected His works. Therefore, they reject His followers. Drop down to verse 2 and 3 of chapter 16. He says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. To be put out of the synagogue, I think we talked about this back in chapter 9, was to become a religious and a social outcast. And we read that and we say, oh, you know, they'll put us out of the synagogue. Darn, I'd really hate for that to happen to me. We've never been to a synagogue. But to be cast out of the synagogue in Jesus' day was to be cast out as a so you were a social outcast. You couldn't do business with somebody who had been excommunicated. You couldn't let your daughter marry somebody who had been excommunicated. To be kicked out of the synagogue wasn't just to say you couldn't come to church. It was to say nobody who's in there can do any have anything to do with you. Now that does happen today. Some people's families are so opposed to biblical Christianity that whenever one of their own becomes a Christian, that they are shunned. They are cast out. That's especially true in the Muslim world. But it's also true in, in, in the United States. Those who embrace liberal theology and those who embrace the atheistic mindset, to have one of their own embrace biblical Christianity to put their trust in Jesus Christ... They're looked at as a bigot. They're shunned. And more than just being cast out, the rabbis thought that they were doing God a service when they killed Jesus. We killed that blasphemer, they said. Not knowing that he was the very Son of God. The same thing was true when they persecuted and eventually killed the disciples. We can't know 100% sure what happened to all the disciples, but tradition tells us that they were all martyred for the name of the Lord Jesus, except John. And he was uh, cast out and isolated on an island till he died of old age. 
Saul of Tarsus, remember him? He thought he was doing God a service. When Stephen was being stoned, who stood by and held the coats of the people who threw the rocks? That was Saul. Saul went to the religious leaders and got letters getting permission to go to the other regions and the other areas to persecute Christians in, in the surrounding areas. Because he thought he was doing God a service, getting rid of these Jesus followers. There may be no worse kind of persecution than that which is brought on by those who profess to do so in the name of God. Are you encouraged yet? Let me give you some encouragement. Three, three reasons you should be encouraged. One, you should be encouraged because your rejection confirms Christ's words. Look at verse 25. He said, But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That's an allusion to Psalm 69 verse 4. In the Old Testament, David and his struggles are often uh, portrayed in Scripture as a type or a foreshadowing of Christ and His rejection. Jesus fulfills all Scripture. When He was rejected and put to death, He fulfilled the very Word of God. The things that He said would happen to Him, happened to Him, and He proved that He was telling the truth about Himself. When He rose from the dead, He fulfilled His own predictions. You can be confident that the one whom you serve, the one for whom you suffer, is who He says He is because He told the truth about Himself before it ever happened. You can be encouraged because your rejection confirms Christ's words. The same is true for the world's rejection and persecution of us as His followers. Verse 4 in chapter 16, he said, These things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Jesus didn't want the disciples to be caught off guard. They didn't want to, he didn't want them to lose their footing or to fall away. So he told them ahead of time, guys, listen, this is how it's going to be. One scholar said to be forewarned is to be forearmed. When you know that something's coming, you can be ready for it. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this today. If you haven't yet suffered for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be faithful and be sure that you will suffer in some way. Go ahead and arm up. Ready yourself. Put on the armor of God. Fill yourself with the Word of God. Get dependent on God in prayer. And know that it will come. And know that you can rest in the one who suffered before you. He's told us ahead of time, now let's prepare ourselves and be ready. Number two, you should be encouraged because you have the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, when the Helper comes, we've looked at that word before, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. The Holy Spirit, proceeding as sent by the Father and the Son, comes as the parakletos, the paraclete, for the Christian and bears witness for Christ. For the Christian, He's what? He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's our counselor. He's our advocate. He's the one who comes alongside us to go with us in the battle. We have the Holy Spirit in us. For Christ, He bears witness. Through our persecution, through our trials, the Holy Spirit in us bears witness to the Christ for whom we suffer. When you suffer, it is not in vain. God will use it to draw people to Himself. 
Be encouraged. You have the Holy Spirit. And number three, you should be encouraged because you get to bear witness to Christ yourself. Verse 27, he says, And you, will, you also, in addition to the Holy Spirit, will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The believer also, by the indwelling Spirit, bears witness to Christ. When you stand through suffering, your words, as you testify to Christ, carry that much more weight. How many, just look through church history, read some biographies of those who were converted because they saw a Christian stand through suffering and through persecution and say what they have just might be real. When you suffer and you're faithful to stand and bear witness to the Lord Jesus, your words go further. Verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. In other words, that you should not fall away. Don't be caught off guard by persecution and trials. Don't fall away and quit. Jesus gave you advance notice. He's promised to help you. He's promised to carry you through it. He's promised to use it for His own glory. Jesus is worth it. He is who He says He is. He's gone to prepare a place for us beyond this world. So what if you lose your life for the name of Jesus? You get to live forever in a better world. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit to help you and to sustain you. Persecution and suffering provide perfect opportunity to be a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Graduates, be encouraged. You're going to suffer if you stand. And God will carry you through it. And He will use it to draw people to Himself. If you will be faithful, be faithful. We're going to baptize Kaylee here in a few minutes. A new believer. What more encouraging thing can we say to a new believer on the day of her baptism than you are going to suffer? Not just her, but all of you. By the way, this gets preached to me before I ever stand up here. We all must be ready and be encouraged. Remember the apostles, they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. We have that same privilege. To unbelievers, this makes absolutely no sense. Why would I join that club? Why would I come to that church? That does not sound as good as what the guys on TV said. They wore nicer suits, they had whiter teeth, they had better hair, and they spoke a whole lot more eloquently. And what they said did not sound like that at all. This is the truth of God's Word. It doesn't make sense unless you realize that Jesus is worth it. That the eternity that comes after this life is real and is worth it. That though you are a sinner and that though you are on your way to hell because you've offended God because of your sin, He died for you. He loved you and laid down His life 
Jesus died in your place. He suffered persecution. He took not just the wrath of men in this world, but He bore the wrath of God that was stored up for your sin. He did that for you. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could have eternal life. It's a small thing to give your life back to Him. Willing to suffer. Repent of your sins. Put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And know that there's a better life beyond this one. Amen? Let's pray. Stand with me. And after I pray, we'll sing a song together. And Kaylee's going to come up and we'll get on with a baptism. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that even a passage that promises hardship can be encouraging to those who love you and trust you. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who stand firm, who stand faithful on the truth of your word. Never wavering, never falling away. Confident that you will carry us through until that day when we see you face to face and live with you forever. If someone here doesn't know you, may they be saved today. Strengthen the saints in Jesus' name. Amen.